Good morning, this is 5 at 8. Today's Wednesday, November 8th, 2023. And here is the day's top news. Your hosts are Linda Carlisle and Mark Overman. In this episode, we'll talk about the Euclid Telescope's first images revealing the mysteries of dark matter and dark energy. We'll also discuss the European Union's energy market reform in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Then we'll cover the latest updates on the conflict between Ukraine and Russia, including military advancements and international aid. Next, we'll share news about the Philadelphia Orchestra's cultural exchange in China and the impact of warming ocean temperatures on Greenland's ice shelves. Stay tuned for all these top stories of the day. Story number one, the Euclid Telescope, launched by the European Space Agency, ESA, has released its first images, showcasing its exceptional capabilities. According to the BBC, over the next six years, Euclid will survey a third of the sky to gain insight into the mysteries of dark matter and dark energy, which are believed to make up 95% of the universe. These unknown forces control the shape and expansion of the universe, but little is known about them. Euclid's job is to observe the contours, distances, and motions of billions of galaxies to trace the subtle signals of dark matter and dark energy. The telescope survey is expected to provide answers to some of the biggest puzzles in astrophysics. What a time to be alive, Linda! These images from the Euclid telescope are out of this world, literally. It's like we've been handed the keys to unlock the mysteries of the universe, all from the comfort of our own planet. Imagine what we could discover about dark matter and dark energy, which make up a whopping 95% of the cosmos. And the images are impressive, and the scientific potential of Euclid is enormous. However, I also think we should tread carefully. The universe is vast and complex, and our understanding of it is still in its infancy. Yes, these advancements in space technology are exciting, but they also bring with them a great deal of uncertainty and, dare I say, a touch of hubris. Oh, come on, Linda. You can't deny the thrill of discovery. This is what pushes humanity forward. Remember, every great journey begins with a single step. Sure, there might be risks and unknowns, but that's what exploration is all about. Besides, think of the potential benefits. If we can understand dark matter and dark energy, who knows what doors that could open? Faster than light travel, unlimited energy, the possibilities are endless. Mark, I'm not disputing the thrill of discovery or the potential benefits. I'm merely pointing out that we need to balance that with caution and humility. The universe is not a puzzle to be solved, but a mystery to be explored. Our advances in technology should serve to deepen our appreciation and respect for the cosmos, not simply to conquer it. Well, Linda, we'll just have to agree to disagree on this one. I say bring on the mysteries of the universe, and let's use every tool at our disposal to unravel them. And I say let's explore those mysteries with care and respect, Mark. After all, we are not conquerors, but guests in this vast and wondrous universe. Story number two. European Union, EU, energy ministers have reached an agreement to reform the bloc's power market in response to high power prices caused by Russia's invasion of Ukraine, as reported by Reuters. The proposed changes aim to provide consumers with stable energy prices, reduce dependence on fossil fuels, and enhance protection against future crises. However, the struggling industrial metals production sector in Europe is still at risk due to half of the region's primary aluminium and zinc capacity and almost a third of its silicon capacity being offline. Producers are hesitant to invest in new metals capacity due to uncertainty in power prices. 
The EU reform package, as stated by Reuters, includes measures to address these issues, such as guarantee schemes for smaller companies looking to enter power purchase agreements, PPAs. However, immediate relief for mothballed production facilities and the certainty needed for future mine and processing plant construction are not provided. The focus on cheaper renewable energy in the long term does not address the immediate problem of tying spot power pricing to a volatile gas market. The high electricity costs and the cost of transitioning to net zero pose significant challenges for metal producers. It is crucial for Europe, as reported by Reuters, to take a comprehensive approach to its industrial base, connecting critical metals production, renewable energy and power pricing to ensure the survival and growth of strategic sectors. Urgent action, as stated by Reuters, is needed to address these issues. Do you think it's fair to say, Linda, that Europe is in a bit of a tough spot right now? High energy prices are putting a damper on their industrial sectors, especially metals production. Half of the region's primary aluminium and zinc capacity is offline, and a third of its silicon capacity isn't being utilized. It's not just about the present situation. Future investments are also at stake here. I mean, if you can't model power prices, how are you going to plan for a new mine or a smelter? I see where you're coming from, Mark. It's indeed a challenging predicament. But consider this. Isn't this a turning point for Europe to shift towards sustainable energy? The reform package aims to stabilize the energy prices and reduce dependency on fossil fuels. Now that's a step forward, isn't it? However, the Power Purchase Agreements, or PPAs as they call it, seems to be a double-edged sword. On one hand, they have the potential to stabilize long-term energy costs. But on the other hand, not all companies can meet the credit test to sign such contracts. And then there's the availability issue, as we saw with the Belayden example. I'm with you on the shift towards sustainable energy, Linda. But, you know, we can't neglect the fact that these industries are crucial for Europe's economy. What good is green energy if it's going to, excuse my French, kill the industrial sector? I reckon Europe needs to take a leaf out of America's book in this regard. We've been able to balance green energy policies with industrial growth. There's got to be a way to go green without sacrificing the competitiveness and survival of key industrial sectors, right? It's imperative to strike that balance, and I think that's where strategic planning comes into play. Europe needs to identify which sectors are vital to retain and provide the necessary support. This would involve connecting the dots between metals production, renewable energy, and power pricing. It's not an easy task. It requires comprehensive understanding and swift action. The clock is ticking, and as Bernard Respo from the European Copper Institute pointed out, it's time to get to action. Couldn't agree more, Linda. It's a tricky, complex issue, but it's not insurmountable. With the right strategies and a focus on both the present and future, I believe Europe can navigate its way through this energy conundrum. It's not just about surviving, but thriving. After all, the future is green, and it's high time we made peace with that fact and worked things out. Story number three. Ukraine's military has repelled Russian attacks in various sectors of the war, and is preparing for another assault on the town of Avdivka, as reported by The Guardian. Russia has been slowly advancing in the eastern areas of the front line, while Ukraine has made limited progress in its counteroffensive. The U.S. Congress is currently debating aid to Ukraine, with the heads of the Treasury, Defense, and State Departments urging funding of $11.8 billion, according to The Guardian. The EU is expected to recommend formal negotiations on Ukraine's accession as a member state, as stated by The Guardian. 
A newly built Russian naval corvette was damaged by a Ukrainian attack in Crimea, and the Netherlands has sent fighter jets to Romania for training Ukrainian pilots, as reported by The Guardian. Russia has formally withdrawn from a security treaty that limited conventional armed forces, and the U.S. Army is seeking approval to replenish depleted stocks of artillery rounds, as stated by The Guardian. The U.S. has accused Russia of financing a disinformation campaign in Latin America, and Ukraine has deployed more Western air defense systems in preparation for further Russian attacks on energy facilities, according to The Guardian. G7 support for Ukraine remains unaffected by the escalating conflict in the Middle East. Ukrainian drones were reportedly attacked over the Black Sea and Crimea, as reported by The Guardian. Might seem like a slow-moving campaign over there in the eastern areas of Ukraine, but it's a pivotal point in global geopolitics right now. Russia's continuous assault on Ukraine, especially in key areas like Avdivka, is not only a regional issue, but it's also shaking the very foundation of international security agreements. Absolutely. The conflict has far-reaching implications, and it's not just about Ukraine or Russia. It's a test, really, for the entire international community. We've seen the U.S. Treasury, Defense, and State Departments calling on Congress to fund $12 billion in Ukraine aid. That's a significant move, but it's not without its own political wrangling. Right you are, Linda. The U.S. aid package is a large-scale commitment, and it's caught in the middle of a political tug-of-war. It's interesting, you know, how domestic politics can often complicate international aid. Meanwhile, the EU is kickstarting the process of Ukraine joining as a member state. That's a big step. Signifies a shift in the balance, don't you think? It's a major shift, and not just symbolically. It shows the EU's commitment to Ukraine, but it also puts a spotlight on the challenging journey ahead for Kiev to adapt to EU standards. In another development, the UK's Ministry of Defense reported that Ukraine's attack damaged a new Russian naval corvette in Crimea. Such incidents, although isolated, can escalate the tension. Absolutely. And it's not just the EU and the US. Japan has also assured continued G7 support for Ukraine, despite the intensifying Middle East conflict. There's also the Netherlands providing F-16 fighter jets for the training of Ukrainian pilots. So we're seeing a global rallying behind Ukraine in various forms and degrees. True, Mark. But we also need to consider Russia's withdrawal from a key security treaty. It's a worrying sign of the changing dynamics of global security. The conflict is not just confined to the battleground, it's spreading into cyberspace too, with accusations of Russia financing a disinformation campaign across Latin America. The world truly is interconnected, isn't it? Couldn't have put it better myself, Linda. It's like a domino effect, one thing leading to another. War in Ukraine, EU's move towards integration, US funding, cyber propaganda, and NATO's dynamics, all interconnected. It's a complex, ever-shifting landscape. But hey, as they say, may you live in interesting times, right? Interesting times indeed, Mark. But let's also remember, behind these geopolitical maneuvers, there are real people suffering. It's a harsh winter for those bracing for Russian attacks on energy facilities. The world's focus should not just be on strategic responses, but also on human empathy and support. Story number four. The Philadelphia Orchestra is visiting China for the 13th time, as reported by Washington Post. The orchestra will perform with the China National Symphony Orchestra and hold master classes and chamber music performances at various venues. This cultural exchange coincides with the American Ballet Theater's tour in China and follows recent high-level visits from the United States. 
The visits reflect the efforts to restore contacts between the two nations as they prepare for a meeting between President Joe Biden and President Xi Jinping. Hasn't it been fascinating to see the Philadelphia Orchestra making its way to China again after all these years? It really takes me back to their first visit in 1973. You know, that was a historic moment, marking the thawing relations between the U.S. and China. And now, half a century later, we're seeing a similar kind of cultural diplomacy at play. It's interesting how cultural exchanges like these have a way of bridging divides when political and economic conversations can sometimes hit a wall. And of course, the historical significance of the orchestra's first visit is not lost. It came at a time when Nixon had just started normalizing relations with China, and now the orchestra's visit seems to echo that spirit of rebuilding connections. Right! And don't forget, it's not just the orchestra. The American Ballet Theater's tour in China is another fantastic example of fostering understanding through culture. I mean, at a time when the world's two largest economies are trying to navigate their differences, these exchanges can truly serve as a conversation starter, don't you think? Indeed. It's like music and dance are languages that transcend borders and conflicts. But we must also remember, there are complications. For instance, the ongoing pandemic restrictions and the economic animosity between the U.S. and China could be potential roadblocks. However, the fact that high-level visits from the U.S., including Secretary of State Antony Blinken, have been happening, it shows a willingness to engage. And that's what makes the upcoming meeting between Biden and Xi at the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit so intriguing. Could these cultural exchanges possibly pave the way for more constructive dialogue? Only time will tell, but I certainly hope so. Yes, Mark. The potential is certainly there. Going back in history, cultural diplomacy has often played a crucial role in international relations. It's a softer, more inclusive approach that can foster mutual understanding and respect. And in today's interconnected world, these initiatives hold even more significance. Story number five. According to CNN, a new study has found that the ice shelves in northern Greenland are rapidly weakening due to warming ocean temperatures, which is destabilizing nearby glaciers and contributing to sea level rise. The study analyzed eight ice shelves and found that they have lost over 35% of their total volume since 1978. Three of the ice shelves have completely collapsed since the early 2000s, and the remaining five are melting and destabilizing nearby glaciers. The primary driver of ice loss is basal melting, where warm ocean currents melt the ice from beneath. The retreat of the grounding lines, which indicate glacier stability, is also contributing to increased ice discharge into the ocean. The study highlights the need for continued monitoring and efforts to reduce planet heating pollution to mitigate the potential collapse of the ice shelves and its implications for sea level rise. Has anyone else noticed, Linda, how the conversation about climate change has shifted from if to when? This recent report on Greenland's glaciers is downright scary. The ice shelves are melting at an alarming rate, destabilizing the glaciers and, well, you know, contributing to the sea level rise. What's your take on this? Yes, you're right, Mark. It's worrisome. The ice shelves play a crucial role in holding back the land-based glaciers from sliding into the ocean. As these ice shelves weaken and melt, there's more discharge into the ocean which contributes to sea level rise. The study shows the ice shelves supporting northern Greenland's glaciers have lost over 35% of their volume since 1978. Three of them have even collapsed since the early 2000s. Geez, over a third of their volume? It's, it's like watching a disaster in slow motion. 
So what's causing this meltdown? Is it just the warmer ocean temperatures? Yes and no. Warmer ocean temperatures are indeed a major factor. They cause what's called basal melting, where the warm currents melt the ice from beneath. But the study also mentions increased calving, which is when chunks of ice break off to form icebergs. It's really a combination of factors at play here. I see. So it's not just one thing. But what does this mean for the future of these glaciers, Linda? Any, you know, silver linings in sight? Well, Mark, the future of these glaciers will heavily depend on global efforts to reduce planet heating emissions. Continued monitoring and research are also crucial to understand how these ice shelves will respond to climate change, especially the complex process of basal melting. But it's not a very optimistic picture if the current trends continue. The report suggests that the rapid melting of these ice shelves may now be unavoidable. Unavoidable, huh? That's, that's a tough pill to swallow. We're talking about enough ice to raise sea levels by nearly seven feet if they completely melt. But thanks for shedding light on this, Linda. It's clear that we all have a part to play in slowing down this global crisis. That's it for this morning. Have a great day and see you all tomorrow. Five at Eight is researched, written, and performed by artificial intelligence. For more information, visit botcaster.ai.